The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid is built for the best of both worlds. For the city buzz, for the call of the wild, for finding solitude, for sharing memories, for day trips, and for far-roaming adventures. Because with gas and electric capability, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe inspires you to explore more, to explore it all. Tap the banner to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast with me, George Scott, the Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar. Last weekend, I travelled to Italy for the Strada Bianchi, one of the most demanding and beautiful races on the World Tour calendar. My guide for the weekend was Team EF Education Easy Post Pro Michael Valgren, a former winner of Omelette Pet Newsblad and the Amstel Gold Race, who finished 11th in last year's Strada Bianchi. He's a man who knows a thing or two about the white gravel roads of Tuscany and showed us the ropes ahead of riding Sunday's 138km Gran Fondo. Michael suffered a horrible crash at the route to Occitanie race last June while preparing for the Tour de France Grand Depart in his native Denmark. Six months of intensive rehab followed before returning to training in January. Now he's slated for a return to racing in April with EF's development team as he continues his path back to the top level of professional cycling. I sat down with Michael to discuss his comeback, the advancement of bike tech and training know-how through his career, and for his thoughts on Tom Pidcock's Strada Bianchi win. We'll start the interview here. And I began by asking Michael quite simply how he's feeling nine months after a crash that threatened to end his career. Nine months already, yeah. Yeah, I, um, it's going well now. Like I, uh, I'm on a really good, uh, good way back. Um, the whole recovery has been a long one. Like, and the process has been like, like a flat line for the first seven months, and then like a big spike. And I'm kind of like still on that, um, on that wave going up. So... Shape is coming back and I'm happy with where I am. Uh, if you ask me like the last camp in December, if I were where I was going to be start March, uh, compared to where I am now, I'll be like really, really happy where I am. Uh, I've been training pain-free the last two months and yeah, the form is coming back uh, really quick. So so all in all, uh, it's, it's going really well. So you had six months of rehab and then back on the bike in early January. How have you kind of found those early months of, of pedaling? Well, it, it has come back um, really quick. Like already from the beginning on, I could push quite, quite well. Like I got tired early or um, of course, uh, which I think is, is normal, but even the power, like I mean maximal power, I, there's not been like a drop in that. It's just like I get more tired from it now than I did before. Uh, 
But now it's, yeah, it's getting better and better. Um, I was really afraid that it was going to take like half a year to get in in a, in a peak shape uh, after being out for like six months, just doing no kind of like cardiovascular thing. It's just all about a bit about like a bit about like the rehab of my knee and, and and my hip. But I think because I have done so many kilometers in my past that the muscle memory of of all this endurance is just still there in the body somehow, and the body just remembers really well. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely on a on a good track, but we we are being patient. We don't want to just start and doing like 25 hour week from day one because that might be a shock to the body. So we're like starting low, 13 hours, 15 hours, 17, and now I'm like up to like 23, 25 hours, which is a normal hour week. Uh, but then additional to that, I'm doing three times in the gym, but now I'm down to two times. So ideally, it should be one day per week I'm doing a gym session uh, to maintain the, the strength of the of the leg. Uh, but it's still two times, which is just maybe the toughest thing because that's really, really hard on the muscles. And I do it in the evening, so I'm like, has have some, have less time to recover basically for the next day of training, but it's really beneficial. And I'm, I'm just enjoying to see this uh, line or curve is still, it's just still going up. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good, good to be me at the moment. Somehow. <laughs> if you can take us back to June and the, the day of your crash, what are your memories of the day? Oh, I basically remember it, everything. You know, like I was basically doing this uh, route to Occitanie to show myself before the tour. And uh, that day I kind of had to be in the breakaway to show my, how I was, how I was doing like, in a breakaway, if I could if I had like the resistance. Because um, I basically just came back from from COVID. I, I got it, um, Late of May, uh, late May in Tour of Norway, um, so yeah, basically four guys were in the breakaway. TJ in the radio said, "If you have someone," and we said, "No." And then he's like, "Okay, guys, we have to close it." So Ben Healy starts to pull, but the peloton just let him go, and I was like, "Oh shoot, that should have been me, you know, not not Ben." And if I want to be in the tour, I have to go. And we started up in the in the mountains. So it was like basically a 30k descent. So I just uh, whacked it last minute before the peloton blocked the road. And everything was going fine until basically the third corner, just carrying too much speed. And yeah, it comes a bit, a bit sharper than expected. And I, you know, had two decisions. You know, you remember, I remember really clear, like, okay, I know this is if I turn and break, I'm gonna crash. But if I go straight and, and break, maybe I get enough, take enough speed off the bike so I don't crash, maybe just hit the hit the road barrier. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hit the hit the fence or whatever you call it and just uh, flew over that and fell down pretty 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 long down I think like eight ten meters or something or something but although all the impact is was taken from my leg like my left leg uh, I had not a single scratch on my arms uh, head was fine leg was fine it's just like my leg my leg just took all the bang you know so yeah and then some guys came down and and helped me luckily there was a guy trying to follow me in that attack because otherwise I would have no one would have seen me uh, so a guy came down, they, they put like a rope around my chest and just dragged me up. So like hanging in the, hanging in the air, like going into the, into the ambulance. Uh, yeah, and then from there on just to the hospital and uh, in a lot of pain. But uh, yeah, luckily I'm still here. That's why I, I take on this because it could have been, could have been much worse. So uh, yeah. You mentioned there that you took all, all the impact on your leg and just to talk through some of your injuries, you dislocated your hip 
fractured your pelvis and, and ruptured both your ACL and your MCL. And meniscus. And meniscus, yeah. to add that one. Yeah. But you posted a very positive message on your Instagram in the days after. Was that kind of really important to your kind of rehab and your outlook to, to try and stay positive and look ahead? Yeah, I think it was. Like, I maybe didn't know how bad it was in the beginning. Um, because I don't think everyone was telling me the whole truth, you know, like um, my, phys- my personal trainer or physio- physiotherapist was like, yeah, you're going to come back, you're going to come back stronger. It's just nothing, you're going to be on your bike in three months. So this is kind of what I was like relying on. But I think the team doctors were like, oh, this might end his career, you know, because the hip pelvis thing was, 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 was a bad one. Luckily, the certain I had was doing a really good job. Uh, I must say that. Uh, that healed so good. And then what we thought wasn't going to be a problem, but ending up being was, was my knee. Because the surgery has been a standard procedure, fixing the ACL and MCL and meniscus. But I think it was, it was two traumas, so we couldn't start working on the knee from the beginning. So that just kind of held up the rehab for in the knee. And that just basically piled up a lot of uh, scar tissue, uh, bone stuff, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it just took me a long time to, to get over that. Uh, but luckily, yeah, the hip is doing fine. I was doing fine the whole time, which is, or was the, the biggest injury because like a knee will always be good. At least what I've been told, like eventually, it might just take time. Uh, but the pelvis could have been like a career-ending uh, crash or a injury, yeah. Have you had to remind yourself to be patient, particularly through those early weeks and months of, of rehab where perhaps the progression is quite slow compared to getting back on the bike? Yeah, it was not so much in the beginning because the first month went really well. And then from month one to month three, three and a half, that was tough because there I just didn't move at all. I kind of just went backwards. No matter what we did, nothing helped. Uh, so that, that was really, really tough. And I was still in in pain, I was not having a nice normal life, you know, couldn't walk, couldn't do nothing, uh, couldn't play with my kids, uh, couldn't even enjoy, you know, being at home, you know, I was just getting more grumpy and grumpy every day. Uh, not easy for my wife, I think, I was not, not easy to, to, to be around, but, uh, you know, then you try to really stay positive, but uh, most days was, was has been, been, been super, super hard for sure. Are there any techniques that you, you use to, during those more difficult moments to stay positive and, and to look ahead? Well, yeah, so my wife is a, is a shrink or psychologist uh, and then I'm kind of like a, a closed book, uh, but she always finds a way to open, open, open me, you know, and I learned by the years I've been with her, like it's better to talk about things and she's always good to get me to talk and, and then the last few years I've been working with a sports psychologist as, as well. Uh, he helped me through it a lot. The, the team in general was really good to, to keep in contact and like, you know, I had to stay positive. And, and so like I had a really good group around me, my family, my team, my, the, the people I set up around me, my, my friends. Um, so yeah, I think without them, I would have been in a, in a really like black hole. I think I could have run into a depression for sure, but I think, uh, with them, I avoided that. So yeah, I can only say thank you to them. Of course, it, it could have been really bad for sure. Looking ahead now, you start racing again in, in April. You plan to start racing in April. How do you feel about that return to racing? 
yeah, man, I'm I'm so excited. Like I'm just, uh, you know, somehow I think it was kind of good to be out of cycling for so long because now now I just really want to get back into it. Don't get me wrong, it's a privilege to be a world tour rider, but you know, every year it's kind of like the same preseason, blah blah blah, training camp, and then first race, and then boom, you're straight into it. But like now I've been out for so long, like I really miss it. Like I'm really looking forward to it, and also because I I feel quite good, and at the same time it would be a really good like benchmark to see where I am and what I miss to to come back and compete. Because basically that's like four steps in my rehab. That's like going back to riding a bike, training, and then, uh, what was the other thing? Anyway, anyway, but ending up to be like performing, you know? And I'm probably still like at, at step three, it's like, you know, doing efforts and, 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 and training and preparing where like the performance zone when I when I when I am at that zone, you know, and I think that race will be like a good uh, benchmark to see where I really am. So it's going to be really exciting. Has the last nine months changed your outlook on cycling and professional cycling as a as a whole? No. Only, you know, like I, I love cycling. Like I was just not ready to stop my cycling career with a, a crash like this. Like I was. I like to stop when I don't want to do it anymore. But it's like a, a really good like reminder of, for me to see that I actually still like love cycling. In many days you hate it because you get your ass kicked and it's really hard and these young kids come up and they kick your ass, you know? And uh, But like, I wouldn't be without it, you know? Uh, this is who I am and this is who I want to be. So yeah, and it this kind of break or rehab and all this, I, I, I learned so much about my body. I start to listen a bit more to to the body and people around me and not just like doing, you know, the more the better. I think I've always been a, a good trainer and thought the more the better, but it's not always like this, you know, and I learned about recovering and nutritioning and like just to get back from this injury that I can really use to be a personal bike rider. That's also why I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable that I'll be back on the, in, in the best shape again, because I feel good now. Um, Cause I feel like I, I, I have, have all these kind of new tools that I, I learned how to master. So yeah, hopefully I won't get my ass kicked too much in, in next month because that'll probably be uh, uh, hard for the head. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'll be back at the, at the top level again for sure. And we're talking here at the Strada Bianchi where we saw Tom Pidcock win today. You watched the race. Can you share some of your thoughts on how the race unfolded? Well, that was an intense race, you know, like... Uh, and this just also shows like how quick it can go because I thought eventually like, okay, my teammate Betjol, he looks really fantastic, you know, and, and then Pitcock with his uh, abilities on the bike, you know, he just wrote them off on a, on a descent. And that's what this Svarabianke is all about. Like, it's not just the uphill and the, and the gravel, it's also the downhill. You can't rest on the downhill as you can in other classics. It's always here about staying focused and Pitcock, he really used that today, you know. For me, it was a really good race to see, I think, uh, it was really exciting because this chasing group you know, was so close to come back the whole time. But you know, hats off to Tom. He he made a brave move. Uh, it's not his force to ride 50k solo. Uh, and and but he he was he was really strong today. And uh, yeah, and he was the deserved winner. As a classics specialist and someone who's won Omelette Pet Newsblad and Amstel Gold Race in, in the past and performed well at the Strada Bianchi. Is this a race that you enjoy and, and the experience here? Because it's it's pretty unique. Yeah, I love it. 
it's one of my favorite races. Like I, I tend to go really well here. Um, and I love coming back. Uh, I'd love to come back next year and do a good result again. Like I get really motivated seeing the race today like this, because I imagine myself, you know, being there and what I would have done, you know, and what I wouldn't have done. And um, so you also think, I think you learn something from watching a race like this, uh, because basically this race is often, or it's always the strongest guy who wins. Um, so yeah, you can't really hide, uh, but it's a, it's a great race because Many guys can win it. It can be like a climber, it could be a classic rider. It could be anyone, but maybe not a sprinter, but like for the rest, it's like really a really open race somehow. We were both at the start of the, the men's race today and I myself was walking around looking at the team bikes and, and, and in particular paying attention to the tyres that many teams were running because that's been a, a big change that we've seen over the past couple of years, not just here, but across the, the whole World Tour season. Most teams run in 30 millimeter tyres, in, including the EF team. And before we were recording, you mentioned that tyre technology is one of the biggest changes you've seen through your career. Can you talk a bit more about that and, and what influence that has had on, on you as a rider and the bike you ride? Yeah, like I said, I think tyre tyres are the thing that changed the most. You know, we just go bigger and bigger and bigger every year and it's still faster and faster and faster. You know, the, the chambers inside is just getting bigger. You can ride with lower pressure. With the thing you has has better grip, you can go faster in the in the corners, um, but you still have better grip, so I still think it's kind of safer. Um, and I really think a team that doesn't follow this trend, they are they are behind. Um, I know some sort of certain brands, you know, uh, I won't mention any names, but they they tried all this, and because basically brands want to make a a new tire or whatever for you guys to buy, I think. But if they don't make a good tire, the, the pro's not going to ride it and then it's not going to sell any tires. So, um, so I know one, some teams that try this, but they just have to go back to, back to what works instead of like trying to make this new product that everyone was going to buy. So it's definitely a big topic that I think all the brands want to make the new best tire, the new best tire. And it just, just keeps coming, you know? And I know Victoria, as we are riding on, are really good like um they just keep keep getting better and better and like so I'm, I'm i'm really pleased with that i can't wait to to try the 30s out on tomorrow because uh, that's the perfect fit for this type of course um but also we have like you know different like tubeless or tubular or with an inner tube you know i think specialized is still riding with an inner tube they don't use the tubeless yet um but we ride there yeah, tubeless which is like I think could be safer because maybe we have like this insert inside so you can still keep riding if you have a puncture. It of course adds a little bit of weight and less rolling resistance, but that makes it just safe. The tire won't come off and you can ride the, you can ride the sector finish. Um, I did that one year here in Stride, I actually had a puncture. I could just ride the whole sector behind in the in the bunch and change when I get when I got out. So that's a big advantage, I reckon. So there's um yeah, it's, it's a it's a crazy world. That's a, that, that, that's for sure. In terms of tubeless tires, we, we saw their introduction in the World Tour Peloton a, a few years ago, but it was it was a slow introduction. But now we see a wholesale change across most teams, with a few outliers. A couple of teams running tubeless today, as you say, specialised sometimes still with inner tubes. Has there been a change in mindset amongst the riders as to what's best and, and what's fastest and where does that information come from? Is it from the testing yeah. behind the scenes? Yeah, well, you know, I think like for us old school riders, it was hard for us to go like, 
riding tubeless and just like four and a half bars instead of tubal out with like nine or ten bars, you know. Uh, that's the biggest, uh, the hardest issue for us was we, we, we think like the more PSI or bars, the better, you know, basically. But yeah, from testing on, from other testing, that's where we get the info from basically. They just show it's faster. So we just have to like trust uh, our engineers and all the, our material guys in the team that they are right and they and they are. You can you can see it. I think one of the reasons why EF are going so well this year, I'm pretty sure, is because of new tires. Uh, so for sure, one of the of the reasons. Um, so I I try to let this all old, old school just like you know take it away and just follow the trend. Because uh, it seems to work just with like same with like new nutrition and and new training style, new tires, new equipment. It's like just follow because you just stay stay old school. You you tend to get uh, passed from the from the young guns. That's my experience experience at least. And on that point, on your on your training at home, how has your training changed in in the in the ten years plus that you've been a professional rider? Um, well, there's a lot of still of the same stuff that we do, you know, like 4020s are still really good, you know, that's gonna work. But there's a lot of uh, new Zone 2 uh, stuff going on at the moment that you should ride at, at Zone 2 quite more. I think often we go like too much in like the Zone 3, uh, kind of like too moderate tempo, you just get tired from. Uh, so basically you do like a polar ride training where you do like 80% Zone 2 and 20% uh, VO2 max stuff. Um, I think that's uh, that's uh, the way to go now, but I think mostly in training, what has changed is actually the new nutritioning. Like when I before I was a pro and was a pro the first many years, it was just about like eating as little as possible. Now it's quite the opposite: eating as much as possible, more or less. Because then you can ride every day, training every day hard. But I have tried so many times. You know, back in the days, you didn't eat for five hours. You felt like, oh, this was a good ride. I'm kind of kind of tired now, I'm pretty, can I say fucked? Yeah, yeah, you know, pretty fucked. The next day you're like, you can't ride your bike. And now with this new training style, eating 60 to 90 grams per hour, you can train almost every day of the week like this and you just become a better bike rider. You're recovering so much better. So I think nutritioning is probably what changed the most in training for like performance, in my opinion. And when we spoke last night, you mentioned the chronometer app that you use to just keep an eye on on your on your macros and your nutrition across carbohydrates, protein, and, and so on. Yeah, has that technology played a, a big part in understanding what's going in your body when you haven't got a nutritionist there to tell you? Oh yeah, hundred percent. But I think you still need a nutritionist to like kind of find out how much you need of each macro, you know, or Google is a good thing as well. But we're all different, like depending on what rider you are. Are you a muscly rider or just a skinny climber? Um, I think yeah, we spoke about it last night as well, you said. Like for me, I found out only last year that I was, you know, I thought I was having enough protein, but I wasn't at all, which like, kind of makes sense. And I was kind of getting tired in multiple days of training. So just changing some small things in my daily life made a big boost in my, in, in, in my training. So like having a really good nutritionist, that's not, I was going to say, you know, bother you the whole time, because it can also be a bit too much, like you say. I think it's a good tool to do it for like two, three, four weeks, have an idea, then stop. And then if you kind of get off track, 
go back again and, and see if what you're doing is actually still the same or, or if, if it's working, you know, if you maybe not feel so great in training or... So I think it's, it's a really useful tool to to use the chrono, chronometer app. And would you credit <clears throat> the, the amount of knowledge that's out there from coaches, from technology as one of the reasons why we see so many strong riders come through at such a young age now, the likes of Tom Pidcock today and, and guys even younger? 100%. 100%. Sometimes I wish we didn't knew all this because then it would be like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It would be more spread out, you know. I think it, it's such a high level now because all, everybody knows from the, when they are junior how to train, how to eat, how to sleep, all this stuff, you know. Like I cannot teach the young guys anything anymore like I, I used to. Uh, now they all teach me stuff, you know, and it, it's also interesting. But I think also... It's good for our long life because I think we don't ruin ourselves so much because it is being an, a top elite athlete is, is hard on the body. I don't think it's like really healthy, but if you do it the right way to make it more healthy, I think it's better for our body in the, in the long run. So we don't end up with like, I don't know, injuries when we're like 40, you know, or so I think like for our health and future, it's a, it's a really good thing. And we've seen the likes of Alejandro Valverde go to, to, to 40. <laughs> yeah. um, does that appeal to you? Um, ah, I don't know. It, it depends. If, uh, if I still like my wife, probably not. But uh, if I want to get a divorce, probably just keep, <laughs> keep riding. No, like, I think like 40, 42 is um, maybe a bit over the limit. But I, I could see myself ride like another five, six years, something like 36, 37. Uh, that would be nice. And I was going to ask next, the outlook for you, both for the rest of the year and beyond, what are your hopes and expectations for the rest of 2023 to start? Yeah, so like 23, I just want to get back to my, let's say, top level. Um, and when I'm going to be there, it's going to be, it's hard to say, but I have a good feeling that I could probably going to ride the, ride the worlds. That's like a, a goal I have. Um, so basically, I don't have like anything with salt Biden this year. I just want to get back to my top level, and then, then 24, I think um, I want to be the best possible Michael I can be, and if that means that I can win some races still, perfect. Then that's what I'm going to do. But if it means I'm only going to be like a really good domestique, okay, then I have to change my mindset about not winning races, and then that's what I'm going to focus on the last part of my career, like. I tried to be a leader now for a couple of years and it's, it's, it's nice. Like I love to win a race. I think we all do and that's what we aim for. But I think at some point you have to be realistic with where you are in your life, uh, how, the, how your body is. And uh, I don't know with this injury where I'm going to be. I might come back stronger. I might come back and win 10 races a year or five or, or nothing. Uh, but I, I hope for the best. And uh, I think, yeah. After next year, I kind of like reassess if I'm still going to keep riding for a result or just uh, like a good domestique. Is that something that's happened in the past in your career where, you, where you've effectively had different segments and, and you've kind of transitioned in, in your role within teams and across different teams? Yeah, definitely. So basically when I started as a pro, it's not, not normal to come as a neo pro and start making results. You kind of have to work your way through your team, you know, and I did it the first three years of Saxo. Um, helping Alberto Contador all of his his, uh, his years when he was there. And then I came in the transition to trying to become a classic rider with Astana and try to win races. And that worked out really well. And especially where I've been ever since, like 
I want to be good at the classics. I want to be in the top. I want to do finals. I want to do good in the worlds. I want to be good in the Grand Tour. Uh, and uh, now I'm still like still there in my own mind. But yeah, maybe the next transition is going to be full domestic. You, I can only see a guy like Michael Morkov. You know, he he really found his way. Right now, he's the best leader guy in the world. But before, he's trying to sprint himself, do good in climbing, do good TTs. You know, he was like he was medium at everything, but now he kind of found his uh, his way. And now he's the best, you know. And that's kind of what I want to do as well. When I can't win anymore, I want to be the best at something else. I want to make myself like it's not called irresistible. What was it called? Like um, unplaceable, basically. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, something like that. Great. Well, I know you have to go and get a massage before dinner, so we'll wrap up there, but we really appreciate you joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Bike Credit Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.